Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe. Those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I'm Eldon Taylor and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, we invite you to join our chat room by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Now, my partner Ravinder is here in the studio with me, so tell me, Ravinder, what are your thoughts on last week's Mirror Neuron show now that you've had some time to digest the information? Actually, I think I'm still digesting. Um, You know, one of the things I really enjoy about your show is the variety of guests that you bring on and some of the subjects. And I have to tell you, I've not thought about mirror neurons before and where I'm still confused a little bit is, you know, what's the difference between imitating and mirror neurons? And so I've got some investigating to do there. Um, But you've certainly opened up another door in the education field for me. I think our guest point was mirror neurons or motor neurons and uh, where they may be implicated in imitating they're not necessary. So um, an interesting show, some interesting ideas. I think um, one of the aspects of the show that uh, most interested me was his uh, hypothesis that with uh, attention deficit disorder that or autism, uh, not uh, ADHD, forgive me, that uh, perhaps there was a hypervigilance, a hypersensitivity to things like sound. And that's why they were disturbing the child. And of course, one of the theories common in, you know, among mirror neuron proponents is that um, there's an overexcitation of mirror neurons in uh, autistic children. So it would be quite interesting to see that, well, it has nothing to do with mirror neurons, as he suggested. Indeed, it has to do with uh, this uh, oversensitivity to sound. I mean, think about it. Here comes a loud sound, and, and what do you do? You want to get away from it. You, you know, you cover your ears. You, you hide your head. Uh, I, I find that to be a very interesting hypothesis. It is. Absolutely interesting, and there's a you know great deal of work that can come out of that. So, all right, in this week's spotlight, I wish to discuss the nature of myths, metaphors, and wives' tales. Science has traditionally tended to scoff at these things, to miss dismissing them as just so much nonsense. Is that really fair? There are several so-called wives' tales that science and data have discovered are indeed true. For example, the wives' tale that insists a long, difficult labor will lead to a boy is statistically supported, at least according to a survey in the maternity hospital in Dublin. How about the wives' tale that hot baths can damage sperm, or the idea that carrots improve vision? Well, it turns out that both of these have some truth in them. The fact is, oily fish really is brain food. Cheese can give you weird dreams. Heartburn during pregnancy may well mean a hairy baby. Honey does genuinely suppress a cough. The full moon can influence behavior in some crazy ways. Ice cream can give you nightmares. Yawning is indeed contagious. And an apple a day has medical relevance. And we could go on. How about metaphors, though, like... We have two ears and one tongue, so that we would listen more and talk less. Or, it is better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you are a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. One of Mark Twain's classics. We instantly grasp the value of metaphors like this. But then how about a smile as a window on your face to show your heart is at home? or it will take a big tractor to plant anything in the fields of his mind. 
Are metaphors such as these of the same value? Here's the thing. Many of our metaphors are outgrowths of wives' tales, twisted in sometimes humorous ways and sometimes in nonsensical untruths. A smile may be disarming and hide malevolent intent. The tractor plowing someone's mind may have appeal. It may be amusing, but it's an insulting way of calling someone very stupid. It seems that we often laugh at what we should find insulting and dismiss what we should pay some attention to. And that's a point of today's spotlight. If plants all turn toward the sun, does this suggest that people should do the same? This is the question that prompted today's spotlight for are those who believe exactly this. Or are statements of this sort to be taken as metaphors referring to a different sort of sun, perhaps a source? Think of the myth that Jesus Christ was born in December. The 25th day of December celebrated the rebirth of the sun, S-U-N, the vernal equinox, for the cult of the Great Mother many years before the birth of Christ. That said, today the 25th is celebrated as Christmas in honor of the birth of the sun, S-O-N. What's more, where members of the cult of the Great Mother, Mother Earth, drank of the blood and ate of the flesh of a slaughtered bull, Again, the son of the sun. Out of respect for this festive rebirth of the sun, S-U-N, modern-day sacrament privileges imitate this ancient cult practice in recognition of the resurrection of the S-O-N. It's easy to get lost in the landscape between fact and fiction as it winds its way along the grasslands of fantasy and between the knolls of actuality. My thoughts anyway, what are yours, Ravinder? You know, it is interesting how ancient beliefs or bits of wisdom get passed down. And I think you've got two elements coming out in what you were talking about. At least that's how I'm seeing it. The story behind Christmas, um, I find that fascinating, you know, when you have all of those. And you've wrote about that stuff in greater detail in what does that mean when you talked about all of these other um, stories that are very similar that all all relate and so you know there is just this desire to keep up with some of the older information um, quite what that means I'm not sure but when you talk about the old wives tales and that some of the wisdom that can be in there you know the ones that I often think about is what you expect is what you get well, to me, that sounds variation on the law of attraction. You know, people that talk that, you mean you do. When you start expecting certain things, well, then that's what you pay attention to and that's what can come to you. The other one I think that is really relevant today is birds of a feather flock together. Well, look at what politics has done to, to the country, you know, and everyone is in their own little flocks. Um, so there can be wisdom tucked away in some of these uh, ancient sayings, old sayings. Um, so, yeah, there is, there is some interesting stuff amidst the, the craziness. You know, we joked around a little bit at lunch. Um, we know what a tick is. Those nasty <laughs> little critters that have got all those teeth in their mouth so that when they get a hold of you, you can't just pull them out. Yep. You know, they just... They're there, clinging on, you know? The old wives' tale, you take a match to get him to back out. Well, that's really not a wives' tale. It works. I know firsthand. But politics. Well, you know what poly means? We discussed that. <laughs> that's just simply many ticks. And to me, that's how I think about politics. It's politics today. <laughs> it's, yeah. All right. Moving on. Um, every week... We read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week, our show featured Greg Hickok, and we discussed the myth of mirror neurons. Kimberly wrote, if imitating involves mirror neurons, then how are they not involved with everything we imitate? I don't think your guest was clear about this. Well, Ravinder agrees with you. 
Noel wrote, the idea that autism may be an oversensitivity is intriguing. I hope they are following up on this approach. I could be truly help. It could be truly helpful to many. Jan wrote, great show with Dr. Hickcock. Kenneth commented on last week's spotlight with this remark. Perhaps we change nothing about our true soul. We only add experience by tuning into various frequencies that instead of modifying us or changing us, they add another dimension of learning in time that adds more to the empty parts of our field of being. The weather changes all the time. However, the sky is still the sky and the ocean is still the ocean. I know you are talking about a controlled set of behavioral parameters that are managed by a few at the top of the pyramid. However, we all have secondary lives where we manage our own pyramid of consciousness. Well, we should be managing it, that's for sure, Kenneth. Richard had this to say about the spotlight. I can't imagine there is anything such as an authentic pure me. We've just got to be a random mix of inputs. I don't know that I agree with that, Richard, but it's real easy to be counterfeit to ourselves, self-alienated, if you will, uh, because we are such great copycats and we are herd animals and we so do want to fit in. I do think, however, that in the core of your being, you are unique, and that's what we mean by authentic, expressing your uniqueness. Moving on, Cal wrote, I've been a customer of yours for a long time. I love your InterTalk products as they help me a lot. Okay, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but we do love your comments, so please keep them coming. You can opine by writing to me at Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldentaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. We do sincerely appreciate your thoughts, ideas, and illuminations. Now to today's show, Luminous Life with author Dr. Jacob Israel Lieberman. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. His bio reads, quote, Dr. Jacob Israel Lieberman is a pioneer in the fields of light, vision, and consciousness, and the author of numerous books, including Luminous Life, How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living. Originally trained as an optometrist and vision scientist, his life changed in 1976 after the miraculous healing of his eyesight, leading him to a deeper understanding of light and the science of life. Having helped countless individuals recover their eyesight, he began to understand the words of Jonathan Swift. Real vision is the ability to see the invisible. Close quote. Born in Havana, Cuba in 1947, Lieberman and his family immigrated to Miami, Florida in 1955 when he was seven years old. He attended the University of Georgia from 1967 to 69, followed by the Southern College of Optometry, where he earned a doctorate of optometry in 1973. Lieberman has invented three light therapy units, the color receptivity trainer and the spectral receptivity systems one and two, and two vision training devices, the Lieberman Visflex and the iPort vision training system. The first patented FDA cleared device clinically proven to improve overall visual performance. I'll be asking him about that today. So on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Jacob Lieberman. Thank you so much. It's uh, wonderful to be here, and I loved your introduction. Well, thank you, sir. I don't mean my introduction. I mean what you shared before you began speaking about me. Our spotlight. Well, I'm going to ask you about that, too, today. But listen, on this show, we like to know three things. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And, of course, how do we use it? So to that end, Doctor, please share with us what drives your passions and ambitions. You know, my passions and ambitions are probably driven by whatever is driving an apple tree to create apples and for each of us to fulfill our reason for being, whether it is to write a book or share a message or interview someone uh, I think there is a an inner yearning for truth beyond opinion. Uh, you spoke of fact versus fiction. So what really has always driven me um, is that I've had direct experiences with things 
that have profoundly impacted um, what I was led to believe was fact. And out of those experiences, there was an inspiration, a yearning to look deeper. And that is what has what guided me when I was in clinical practice or when I may have been developing an instrument that I thought might be beneficial to humanity and why um, uh, I felt inspired to write books uh, and to go out and meet with people because I feel that we are the essential ingredient uh, underlying what we share and that we impact each other we touch each other in deep ways that sometimes can't be described um, so I'm just a person who's been inspired most of his life and has felt very moved by the science of life um, and a deeper understanding of that and so that's really what moves me science and mysteries if we remember what science is truly all about it's about dealing with those mysteries as opposed yeah. to sometimes the pat paradigms that uh, we tend to memorize and spew back out in order to pass our tests and get our professional degrees and go on with our life. You're uh, so you right. heard today's spotlight, doctor, and you were about to comment on it. So, you know, go ahead. And, and when you're looking at that, tell me, um, are you, are you suggesting an analogy between plants and humans to, turning toward the sun, or do you mean that literally? Um, uh, um, let me respond to both of those questions. Please. Um, the, the first thing is that all of us have certain beliefs. It's what we think is true. But if we look at our life, we will notice that those beliefs continually change. They evolve in the same way as scientific theories, which we accept as facts, um, are continually evolving, which mean they're true for now, but they're not ultimate truth. And so for me, I'm very intrigued with, um, do we have the ability of in some way having a sense of knowing about what might be true in the moment and an underlying truth that doesn't change. And um, so that's the first comment uh, I wanted to make. In terms of the, uh, the example about uh, a plant, um, I don't think that's an idea. I think that, I believe that is, in fact, I'm going to go further. I know that that is an underlying truth. Humans, animals, and plants all respond to light in very identical ways. And when we look very, very deeply into this, we realize that whether we're talking about the cellular components of a plant or of an animal's physiology or of our own human physiology, we begin to see that in every second of every day, as the spectrum of sunlight is changing, that our cells are continually being cued by those changes and utilize those changes to guide their readiness, whether it is readiness for the season that is coming or readiness in terms of what our physiological response is to any given situation. You know, we all awaken in the morning because the light comes on. We all feel sleepy at the end of the day as the sun is setting, we all get hungry at certain times, use the restroom at certain times, have hormonal changes going on in our body at certain times. We have more energy at certain times of the day and less at others. Um, 
in my first book, Light Medicine of the Future, which was released in January of 91, when I introduced this field um, of science, reintroduced it because it's an ancient field of science, that Mm -hmm. our biology is inseparable from the light and dark cycle. And I made a statement that the purpose of light was to continually bring us into a state of oneness or harmony with Mother Nature and the cosmos. Many people thought that was too broad a statement. I found it interesting in um, October of 2017, I open up my computer in the morning and right on CNN it says that the Nobel Prize for Medicine or Physiology was awarded to three U.S. scientists that had uncovered the molecular mechanism by which all of our cells are continually harmonizing themselves to the day-night cycle, to light and darkness. And they said that we all know what it feels like when you get jet-lagged and you feel, feel out of sorts. But they said so much of our chronic illness is because we're out of sync uh, with Mother Nature. And um, so uh, when I say that just as a plant literally turns towards the light to receive the optimal amount of light for the optimal duration, our cells, all of our cells, literally have eyes, photoreceptors, that are designed to detect and respond to light, and they're doing that continually. You know, I've read a number of studies uh, where workers who have night shifts uh, are more inclined toward uh, uh, immune deficiency uh, related kinds of illnesses, uh, depression, et cetera, and so forth. You know, it, it seems common sense that any human being that's lived any time at all knows exactly how important light is. And yet we have all these dermatologists today and other experts telling us, stay out of the sun, avoid direct sunlight. Um, what do you say to that? You know, um, that was one of those good ideas um, when that started emerging uh, in the late 80s and early 90s, I wrote about this in my first book because people heeded uh, those particular ideas and people started utilizing sunscreens continually. The sunglass industry got financially rich from it. But it's interesting that right now we have a huge international epidemic of vitamin D deficiency because we've been covering up and protecting ourselves from the sun. So most people are suffering from what my old friend John Ott called malillumination. What's interesting about that is that vitamin D is one of the most important aspects of our immunity. And so when you look at what we call the diseases of civilization, meaning the diseases that have come about as a function of our indoor lifestyle, because keep in mind that 100 years ago, 110 years ago, 95% of us worked outdoors. Now more than 95% spent our days indoors under artificial light, artificial sound, artificial uh, temperatures, and so on. And so children with technology don't go out and play anymore. Exactly. And so when you look at the biggest diseases we have, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, osteoporosis, and Alzheimer's, All of them are significantly related to vitamin D deficiency. What does that mean? A lack of sunlight. When vitamin D is increased in all of these populations, it not only improves the symptomatology, but has a preventive effect because light 
has a neuroprotective effect. The light is a nutrient, just like food. You know, most of us think that uh, we get our energy because we eat three times a day. But only about a third of the energy that our cells create has to do with the ingestion of food. Two-thirds of it is directly related to the ingestion of light. And so the light in the morning from 6 a.m. to 12 noon is incredibly important. So just getting out in the sun during that time of the day, allowing larger portions of your body to receive sunlight not only improves the amount of vitamin D, which has a wonderful immune building and protective effect, but your cells literally get jump-started because the spectrum at that time has a high degree of what we call near-infrared radiation. And that near-infrared light literally jump-starts your cells to create energy and begins a healing process all the way down to your DNA. And so getting light in the morning, very, very powerful. If you're a sunglass wearer, there's nothing wrong with wearing sunglasses occasionally. But if you are blocking the light, the natural spectrum of light from entering your eyes, you are actually injuring yourself because the energy from the sun is nature's optimal fuel mix for life. It's like getting the perfect octane for the engine of our humanity. And so when we alter that spectrum by eliminating part of it or reducing its illumination dramatically, we are literally giving ourselves lower octane fuel. And just like your car's engine may knock and not function as well, your physical engine is going to be impaired as well. So for me, this is where common sense is really, really important. Uh, I remember in my first book, I gave the example, if you want to know the beneficial effects of light, stand outside the door of a large office building at lunchtime when people leave their offices and go out for lunch. And if you just stand by the door and record the sounds, as people go from the inside to the outside, they immediately go, ah, there's a sigh of relief, which you then realize the stress of being in an environment where the light is artificial and unchanging, where the air is kept at a certain temperature, where you're listening to artificial sounds or no sounds at all of of nature, and these things have an injurious uh, effect. Um, so, this is a just an Im- important uh, ending to this particular piece. If you look at any creatures in the wild, let's imagine between the the months, the summer months, and the winter months, you will notice that as the seasons are changing from summer to winter, the animal's physiology is changing right along with it because as the days shorten, the solar spectrum changes, the guidance or the signals that those light changes are uh, sharing with all of the cells of the body are basically telling that cell This is what you need to do in order to be in a harmonious state, in an optimal state of wellness with Mother Nature. In the same way as you get a software update on your computer every few weeks and bring it up to its best possible level, that is what light does to each of our cells continually upgrading the the software of our humanity. So when winter comes... The bear doesn't wake up and suddenly say, oh, my gosh, I forgot to get my overcoat from Target. It's already ready to meet and be with the changing conditions. Uh, It is perfectly in congruence and coherence with life. We, on the other hand, have been 
conditioned to believe we shouldn't spend time outdoors. And so what's happening is that guidance that we're continually receiving because the changes of light and darkness in Mother Nature, we are depriving ourselves of that. And so even though we have not maybe taken a trip, a long trip, our cells are in a state of chronic jet lag. We're out of sync with the light and dark cycle outside, and our body is responding improperly. Interesting subject. We have a break, Doctor. We're speaking with Dr. Jacob Lieberman about his work and book, Luminous Life. You can learn more about our guest by visiting his website at jacoblieberman.org. Now, we have a video for you today featuring our guest explaining that we don't see with our eyes. So if you're not already in the chat room, now's the time to get on over there, and you can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Okay, do please stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used InnerTalk. Vicki wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting with Dr. Jacob Lieberman about his work and book, Luminous Light, highly touted, um, endorsed by Eckhart Tolle, Louise Hay, Gary Zukoff, Ram Dass, John Gray, Gene Houston, Bruce Lipton, uh, Deepak Chopra, and a host of other folks. You can check the book out, learn more about our guest by visiting his website at jacoblieberman.org. Lieberman, L-I-B-E-R-M-A-N, Jacob Lieberman, one word, dot org. All right, Dr. Lieberman, for the break, we were discussing, you know, how, how important light was. Uh, wow. Let me let me ask you this. There's an old saying that the eyes are the windows to the soul. Is there any credibility to this statement or is it just another one of those metaphors designed for lovers and perhaps... Uh, I know I used to pay close attention to it. Lie detection examiners intend on which direction our eyes are moving when the examinee answers a question. The eyes truly are the windows of the soul. Um, When I was in practice, I often did a technique called dynamic retinoscopy. The name is not important. But essentially, you're holding an instrument that shines a light towards the eye, and you're looking at the pupil to see how things change depending on what the person is doing. And what I discovered very early on is this. When a person is in a state of relaxation or in a state of what you might call flow, no worries, Their pupil is wide open and filled with light like a headlight. The moment they start to worry, work on things, or feel stressed, the pupil constricts and becomes dark and muddy. It's almost like you are getting to see something about their inner 
processes by looking into the pupil of the eye. That's number one. You mentioned something uh, about um, polygraphs and changes in the eye. People who used retinoscopy could actually notice the changes in someone who was not being truthful as right. fast or faster than a polygraph itself by looking at the light reflex in the eye. But let's take it a little bit deeper. When we think of the eyes, we think of something that is related to eyesight and vision. However, when you actually look at what goes on when light interacts with the eyes, you notice something interesting. Only about 25% of the light that impinges the eyes has anything to do with eyesight and vision. The other 75% utilizes the eyes as a biological window, as a way of getting into the system, and goes to the portions of the brain that we call the brain's brain. It goes to a part of the brain, the hypothalamus, that controls the autonomic nervous system, the endocrine system. It's the initiator of the body's stress response. It's the body's major collecting station for information externally and internally. And that is precisely where light from the eyes go. In fact, it goes to a part of the hypothalamus, which is the site of the body's biological clock, that which sets the timing of all the events that are happening physiologically in the body. So light entering the eyes is literally going to the portions of our system that control all of our life uh, sustaining functions and it does that so that all of the cells of the body can orchestrate their function and then synchronize themselves with mother nature um, and and you see this throughout nature that all living creatures are continually adapting themselves to nature because of changes of the season uh, in in with animals you see there's certain times of the year that they they mate and reproduce there's certain times of the year that they give birth to their offspring so when you look um, at our physiological changes many of those changes are occurring because of the light that enters the eyes the windows of the soul I, I think, in, in fairness, I guess because I spent so many years conducting lie detection exams, one could uh, also say or argue that the hypothalamus as the initiator of uh, stress response, um, for all intent and purposes, is processing a danger message. Uh, right. That is, if you're, you know, if you're fabricating a story, if you're perpetuating a lie, and there's a possibility of detection, and maybe if there's a criminal sentence that attaches itself to that, uh, you're having an automatic response uh, that the hypothalamus is, for all intent and purposes, triggering. And I don't know that that's necessarily the soul, but I do get, you know, I do get what well, you're saying. Well, no, I, I, I'm not suggesting that the hypothalamus is the soul. But what's interesting is there's two expressions. One is that the eyes are the windows of the soul. And right. then the pineal gland is often referred to as the seat of the of soul. The soul. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons is when you look at the brain, you see that everything is paired. Right hemisphere, left hemisphere. Everything is paired except the pineal. The pineal is right in the center of the brain. And it's not only the body's light meter, it's very, very sensitive to light and looks in many ways like an eye. This is why they referred to it as the third eye. But the pineal also has to do with navigation, with orientation in space. It's, it's something that helps to guide us, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. 
And uh, what we notice in humans, for instance, is uh, most Caucasians over the age of 40, they have a dramatic amount of pineal calcification, which impairs their ability to navigate. What does that mean? It means that they, their system for knowing what to do, for trusting their inner sense of knowing, is subtly impaired. Um, there's something else I wanted to add about polygraphs and the hypothalamus and so on and stress. Um, recently, I was speaking at the University of Economics uh, in Prague, Czech, uh, in the Czech Republic. And, uh, and, you know, I wonder why I get invited to speak at a place like the University of Economics. And because I speak extemporaneously, I got up and I said, um, you know, it's interesting that we have all kinds of theories about economics. But if you look at Mother Nature, the workings of the body... It's a perfect example of optimal economy, of efficiency. It, it functions literally with almost no effort whatsoever. My sense is that the polygraph might be picking up when some aspect of our system begins to work on some level or loses its, its efficiency. It's almost like a lack of of integralness or integrity creates a different physiological change which becomes evident to a sensitive device like a polygraph and a sensitive uh, person who is facilitating such testing. I don't know. We, we've always thought of them as, uh, we, I mean, you know, examiners, as uh, sophisticated biofeedback devices. Right. That's all they really are. So, you know, it's test structure, questioning, and, you know, all this other that goes into examination. But that's another thing. Listen, before we get headlong into your book, and I want to do that, and, and we're running short on time, I promised our audience that I'd ask you about this FDA-approved Lieberman Vsflex and iPort well, Vision Training System. Uh, yeah, you the very the first device that I developed in the late 70s was called the VisFlex. The device you're speaking about that was FDA cleared is called the iPort Vision Training System. Uh-huh. And that, uh, I, I don't have anything to do with it. I invented the device. I took it through the FDA and got the patents and so on. But that device... Um, is uh, the technology and the uh, intellectual property uh, is owned by uh, a company called Burnell, B-E-R-N-E-L-L, -L, and they are the world's largest distributor of vision training products, um, and they market the iPort vision training system. And... Um, uh, so people can contact them directly if they have an interest. I have nothing to do with the device okay. uh, any so, longer other than inventing it. But our listeners can uh, have access to this if they contact Brunel. Your yes. book, by the way, and, and I don't want to miss this, uh, has a number of uh, eye tests um, or eye exercises uh, inside of it uh, that yes. adds to uh, the value of the material. So... Once again, the book, Luminous Life, you're going to want to read it. Now, I have a question for you um, that is just a matter of um, the integrity that we bring or try to bring to this show. Not everyone believes or agrees with you, um, you and we all have skeptics. One sure. of your critics wrote this about you. Jacob Lieberman, O.D., talked at great length in a video regarding his research where he also reveals that food is unnecessary for up to a year and drinking is not needed for over eight days. Um, I don't need to read any more of it. It's not flattering. How do you answer people who, uh, who look at what you have to say and say, ah, bull, baffle gab or some such thing? I, I think uh, whoever wrote that uh, took that out of context. 
um, there was uh, in the early 90s, uh, and I have a whole chapter about this in the new book, in the early 90s, I was doing an event in Australia, and I soon found out that the people that were hosting me claimed that they didn't eat. I thought it was sort of outrageous. I'd never heard of such a thing. But in fact, I stayed in a home with several of them, and by God, they weren't eating. Uh, and then many of them attended a workshop that I, I did for the weekend. I was so intrigued by it that I asked them how it is that they did this, and I did an experiment on myself. And the experiment was that you didn't uh, eat or drink for seven days, and then uh, after that point, you merely just drank diluted juices and water and so on. I did this experiment for nine weeks. Uh, I was having bilateral knee surgery. I discontinued the process. I spoke to one of the people that I shared this with who told me years later that he had actually continued for a year. I don't believe that I ever made the statement that I uh, could go without eating for a year, nor do I recommend that anyone do that. Um, I but, I, but I may have shared, uh, there was a documentary years ago on Light where they interviewed me, and I spoke about my experience. I think the person uh, that sent in that information to you uh, should listen to the video again uh, and see exactly what I've said and the context in which I said it, uh, because I have never recommended for people people to go without eating or drinking. I was merely sharing an experience that I had because I, trained as a scientist and physician as well, need to know what's the difference between fact and fantasy. And so I wanted to find out for myself so I would have a direct experience. Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. What's the significance of the expression, it caught my eye? The significance for me is this, when I heard that expression, which we've all heard, I never thought anything about it. But because I'm a vision scientist and I'm very intrigued by light, I found it fascinating that I thought, and I was led to believe, that we consciously look for things. But when I began to examine the actual workings of the eyes and vision, what I realize is that our eyes do not initiate the motion to look. They are merely reacting to light energy grabbing their attention. And so when I, when I uncovered that, I realized that, that there was something profound about that because this energy called light was literally grabbing the attention of the eye, causing the eye to look in a certain direction. And for me, I started looking at, why is that? And then I realized how sometimes you're driving down the road and something catches your, your eye and you step on the brake and all of a sudden you notice a small child was riding their bicycle across the street or a vehicle was coming from your side. And so what I began recognizing is the things that enter our awareness, that grab our attention, that catch our eye, I don't believe that that's happening by accident. I think that information is looking for us, that that is part of the guidance system of our bodies. To give you an example, uh, in 2004, there was a, a massive tsunami uh, off the coast of Southeast Asia. Uh -huh. About three days before anyone knew that a tsunami was coming, all of the wild animals started, it was almost as, they were, as if they were screaming and howling and literally running to the tops of the highest mountains and hills. The Locals had no idea what was going on, but felt as though the animals were trying to share something with them. Because of that, 
the only animals that perished because of the tsunami were domesticated animals that were leashed up or caged up and couldn't escape. But 150,000 humans died with that tsunami. And so people say, well, animals have a sixth sense. They have some way of sensing things that we're not seeing or sensing. When you look at the makeup of animals, they have a, a chemical called cryptochrome in their cell, in, their, in the cells of their body, which is an ancient chemical that literally causes migrator, migratory birds to be able to know where they're flying to and to get to the same locations without the use of, of a GPS or maps that all creatures have this, including humans, and humans have high concentrations of this. So what I'm sharing is that we have the abilities to sense things without looking. We all, you know, you ask a mother sometimes why in the middle of the night they get up knowing their child needs them before their child has made a peep. Doctor, yeah. I, I'm sorry, we're out of time. We're going to have to have you back because I have got two more pages of questions here we haven't been able to touch on. The book is Luminous Life by Dr. Jacob Israel Lieberman. Uh, it is a very informative, great read. Uh, get yourself a copy. There's some wonderful exercises in it. I particularly like the one where you attach the strings to the doorknob, Doctor. I want to thank you for your work. Dr. Lieberman, and for your willingness to share it with us today. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends, let's have them join us as well. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.